from Silicon Valley, the heart of startup land. It's Getting to Alpha, the show about creating innovative, compelling experiences that people love. And now, here's your host, game designer, entrepreneur, and startup coach, Amy Jo Kim. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Today, we're talking with Mimi Ito, an educator and anthropologist turned startup founder. Mimi and her colleagues run an innovative education startup called Connected Camps. They offer summer camps, after-school programs, and coding classes for kids on custom Minecraft servers. My daughter attended a Connected Camp last summer, and it was a transformational experience for her and, frankly, for me as well. Mimi has a real gift for understanding how kids adopt and use new technologies. She's written influential books and papers on this topic. And she's now turning her considerable talents toward building real products. As an anthropologist, I've been trying to translate the really interesting things that young people are doing with new technology in ways that can interface better with the grown-up world and maybe change how we do education and think about learning and technologies. I've known and admired Mimi for many years, and I'm thrilled today to share her deep insights about progressive education with you. Listen in and learn how Mimi bridges the gap between research and practice and where her innovative startup is heading next. Welcome, Mimi, to the Getting to Alpha podcast. Thanks for having me, Amy Jo. So great that you're here. So Mimi and I have known each other a long time, and she was really one of the first people that believed in me, and we connected about ideas And she's gone on to do amazing things, which you're going to get a chance to learn more about now. So Mimi, give us a whirlwind tour of your background. How did you first get started in design, tech, and education? And how did you decide what to pursue along the way? Yeah. So let's see if we rewind a little bit. You know, I'm an academic and my training is in both Uh, anthropology and in education. And I did my graduate work studying uh, what kids were doing with uh, new technology, uh, actually educational CD-ROMs back in the day. And, you know, ever since then, I've just been really interested in what young people do with new technology and what the implications for learning are. And along the way, have worked a lot with folks in industry and design and ed tech to try to understand not only what our kids are doing with technology, but what can we as educators and technology makers uh, do to help kids learn and socialize and grow up uh, in more productive and civically engaged ways. So, uh, you know, after I did my graduate work on looking at both how kids played with educational CD-ROMs, but also the uh, industry around it, I went on to do research on uh, young people's mobile phone use in Japan and video game play and uh, did a big study of how kids were living and learning with new media and the big spike of social media use, that big first wave, uh, and became part of this MacArthur Foundation Digital Media and Learning Initiative that I've been involved in for about a dozen years now, which includes both researchers like myself, but also educators and technology folks who are uh, trying to design new kinds of educational opportunities that are leveraging today's technology to meet progressive educational goals. So I just have to jump in and ask you, 
What motivated you to have such a longstanding passion for looking at kids in education? You know, what were the pivotal experiences? Because you've been at this for a while and that takes a lot of focus. Yeah, I think it's just always been really fun and exciting to me to see what kids do with new technology and the kind of innovation that is really driven, not just user-driven innovation, but youth-driven innovation, I've always found to be really, really exciting. And so as an anthropologist, I've been trying to translate the really interesting things that young people are doing with new technology in ways that can interface better with the grown-up world and maybe change how we do education and think about learning and technology. So, you know, a lot of my work has focused on how geeks and gamers and kids who are sort of at the cutting edge of a lot of this new technology uh, learn differently in this much more self-directed kind of demand-driven social and peer-to-peer way with new technologies and on the internet. And they go really deep into areas of specialty that I found just amazing. Like I did work with anime fans, for example, fan subbers and video remixers who were completely remaking the international anime industry through, you know, creating their own fan products and distributing translated anime online. And that kind of ingenuity and creativity that young people bring to technology is, you know, a constant source of inspiration for me. So, you know, it's not so much that I feel like I'm super creative or have great ideas, but I really like to showcase the cool things that kids are doing with technology. And that's a perfect lead-in to what you're doing now. So you're an academic, but you're also a startup founder. Tell us about that. Yeah, so about a year ago, uh, I launched this new startup called Connected Camps uh, with two co-founders, Katie Salen, who's also an academic and a game designer, and Tara Tiger-Brown, who is technology maker and uh, an activist in uh, the tech space. And yeah, it's really an effort to bring some of what we learn on around our research and a bunch of experiments that we had been doing about kids and uh, learning with games and in sort of peer-to-peer formats and see if we could build a business around it. It's really, in a nutshell, a... Um, effort to deliver sort of creative and social uh, learning experiences through Minecraft. It sounds so much like what you were describing you were fascinated by in its peer-to-peer and self-directed, et cetera. Although some of what you're doing and what you've evolved into has gone from very self-directed to much more structured kind of classes. Can you tell everybody basically what Connected Camps is. I think it's fascinating because you've built something on top of a game. Connected Camps is really an effort to take all that sort of passion and creativity and that social learning that and the metagame that uh, Minecraft players have built around the game of Minecraft, which, you know, if folks don't know it, it's basically like Lego in a virtual world and players can build stuff together and build games and build worlds and stories, and it's very open-ended. So one of the things that was really interesting to us is that it kind of exemplified a lot of the positive creative learning that we see in, uh, you know, gaming communities that have positive peer and learning dynamics. And what's also unique about Minecraft, unlike other multiplayer games, is that you can run your own 
servers. So you have homegrown servers and there's this incredible ecology of, you know, Minecraft servers that are built and governed for certain purposes with different kinds of community values and goals. And so it's a real opportunity for educators to meet kids where they are in things that they're already doing and messing around and having fun with their friends. But we can also put a wrapper around it that really maximizes some of the learning potential that is not necessarily uh, going to be realized just by kids on their own. So we let kids join our servers and play together and we make sure it's moderated and safe. But we also offer things like coding classes and design classes and, you know, a girls club to introduce kids who are new to the game so that uh, we're pushing kids along in going deeper and pursuing specialties and developing digital citizenship uh, in ways that you wouldn't see necessarily if it was just a homegrown server that some kids were running on their own. In terms of how you've actually built this, did you set up your own Minecraft server and then customize it with mods? We have our own uh, servers that, you know, we have a kid club, a sort of our basic home-based server that is mostly about, you know, collaborative building and some survival games and things like that. And then we have a server that's specifically for coding that uh, uses the computer craft mod that allows kids to code in-game. Sometimes we'll spin up special events, like we did a hunger craft game uh, with some collaborators in the Hive Network in New York City, where they had this social justice game that they built around uh, the metaphor of the hunger games. And so we'll have special events like that, too. And each of these, because Minecraft is very configurable, often requires a specific map and server configuration and so on. But, you know, on top of that kind of technical configuration and the builds, I think the other really important thing that we have built on top of our servers is sort of our community guidelines and norms and code of conduct and a whole process for how we sort of guide kids in what positive social interaction is and, you know, mediate the kind of griefing and disputes that inevitably arise within a Minecraft server. Yep. We had that experience this summer. Shall we tell our listeners about it? Absolutely. I think it's a really great example of what happens when kids are playing multiplayer and, you know, what often, you know, you're a super engaged parent who's quite aware of what Minecraft is. But, you know, I think uh, a lot of, you know, Minecraft is a difficult game to understand if you're not in it. So I think what happened with your daughter is a great example of, you know, both some of the opportunities, but also the challenges that kids encounter in Minecraft. So I don't know, you should tell the story. Okay. I'm a big fan of Connected Camps because this summer, my daughter, who was then eight, was um, home for some of the summer while I was working. She wanted to have some weeks off from her outside camps, and I wanted her to have something really awesome to do. And Mimi and her team had developed Minecraft Summer Camp where she could go online and not just mess around, but have a sort of semi-directed, really fulfilling experience. She tried it out. She loved it. She'd been playing Minecraft for several years. Her older brother taught her, as often happens. And she's having a great time. And she went from being a newbie to being pretty confident in her skills. And she amassed quite a bit of uh, iron and diamonds and gold. And she honed her crafting skills. And then one Saturday morning, 
uh, she met a new player and the new player befriended her and they went around and adventured a little and the new player admired her diamond sword. And then she said, oh, I could make you one. And he said, that'd be great. And so she took out her crafting table and took out all her diamonds. I believe there were 22. She was quite aware of how many she had. You get a little math there too. I mean, Minecraft's so amazing that way. So many things you're learning. And this new player, I think, uh, split her table or did something, pushed her table over, gathered up all the diamonds and logged out. And she came upstairs to me where I was working and said, told me exactly what happened. And I went, oh, I know what that is. <laughs> what do we call that in gaming, Mimi? We call it trolling generically, but Minecrafters call it griefing. Yep. So she was griefed. And I thought, wow, where are the counselors? She she kind of knew how to call a counselor, but it all happened so fast. And so I was very impressed because I tweeted about it. Immediately, someone contacted me. We got an email. We got on the phone. And then your team handled it in a way where Lila ended up feeling empowered, not frightened anymore. So why don't you tell about how your team handled it? Because I think it was a educational experience for you as well, because it was still very early in your development. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things about Minecraft is, you know, it really encourages player agency and creativity. So kids find all kinds of ways to work around our rules and, you know, do things. And like this kind of griefing is a pretty good example of you know, something that if kids go off, somebody does something that isn't necessarily observable on chat, which we're always monitoring, things can happen or kids will figure out how to, they figured out that they could write things on signs if they didn't want them to be on chat. So, you know, there's, these things happen. And I think it really is about giving kids enough space so that they can have agency. So it's not a space where it's like they can only say five things and do five things. I mean, kids can really do stuff on Minecraft, but that's what leads to these sort of creative griefing kinds of opportunities too. And so we just have a process where, you know, we have a cool down space where we talk privately to kids when we found out things have happened. Uh, you know, we try to make sure that kids know that they can reach out to the counselors when things happen. And I think one of the things that was great about your daughter, Amy Jo, is like you said, she, you know, we mediated with the player who had grieved her and facilitated some conversations between them. And, you know, I think the the great thing about this case is that, like you said, I mean, your daughter came out of it feeling more resilient and empowered and she became this very sort of responsible and active citizen on the server, which was super impressive. You know, she would go out of her way to welcome other players and make sure that they felt taken care of. And she really started to model good citizenship, I think, partially because it was an explicit conversation that came up around this whole dispute. So that is a very positive example. And we also are really proud when we're able to transform the behavior of a kid like what happened in this case. And a lot of times kids, when they're griefing or trolling, 
they don't quite realize the consequences of what they're doing. Like they might just think it's funny or they don't realize that they're really hurting somebody's feelings or doing something that's threatening or harmful. And so unless we have these opportunities to have these conversations with kids, they're just going out and doing this stuff on the open internet without adults necessarily knowing or intervening or having conversations. So we see these kinds of disputes as actually really, really great occasions to have explicit conversations with kids about these kinds of things. Well, it goes back to social learning. Exactly. And because in the real world, we're kind of around our kids and we see them like running around the playground and if they hit each other or say mean things, we kind of know how to intervene. But a lot of times with their online lives, parents aren't directly involved. They don't have direct visibility into a lot of what kids are doing, especially in their gaming worlds. And so one of the things that is really, really important for us with Connected Camps is that we're fostering an environment. So some of those early online experiences are positive ones that are promoting digital citizenship. Uh, and, you know, we're not raising kids who are trolling and harassing and mean to each other online, which can often happen if they don't have um, mentorship and guidance in their early experiences. Lord of the Flies. <laughs> exactly. Well, what was great for me about this was it did give us a chance to have a conversation, not just about how you should behave with strangers in Minecraft, but also in the real world. And I've believed really ever since I got into tech that the line between the virtual world and the real world is just more and more blurry. They're, you know, so connected. We communicate in both. And so for Lila, my daughter, she came out of this And we had a conversation where it's like, you know, if a new player with no inventory ask you for a diamond sword, maybe you don't say yes. Maybe that's not the best thing to say, you know, uh, because and guess what? If a new person you meet at school one day asks you if they can have your backpack because they like it, do you give it to them? Yeah, so there's a there's a behavior that actually you can start to spot and it means that you're more street savvy. So I thought of this whole thing as an opportunity for Lila to become more street savvy and I fully aspire to raise street savvy kids online and offline that can't be conned, that can see through that. I will tell you, Mimi, I had a backlash among some of the parents on the playground because I told this story, you know, when I picked up Lila at the playground and the people who are, my, who are my friends were like, they get it. But some of the parents were very disapproving that I had continued to let her to play when this had happened. Hmm. Interesting. But that's part of the problem with taking away agency is that if you're going to have agency, you have to work through the consequences of the agency. You can't say, I want agency, but the minute something bad happens, I'm out of here. It's not how it works. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, obviously there's developmentally appropriate times to give your kids more agency and autonomy. But I do think that the longer you delay giving your kids some social freedom and autonomy, the slower they will to develop you know, exactly what you're saying, street smarts or just sense of their own civic responsibility and 
their the ability to engage in communities. So that's one of the problems I see with a lot of the parenting advice that's very protectionist about new technology, because if it's the parents who are always controlling the environment, the kids never develop the capacity themselves to make wise choices about their engagements online. So is that one of your key goals here? To help kids learn to make wise choices in an online environment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of our really big goals. And again, it's like, especially for the younger kids, for our camps, it's that age from 8 to 13, 14. You know, you don't necessarily want to just throw an eight-year-old into the open internet and gaming forums and chat rooms, but it, it is a moderated and safe space where we're watching the chat. And if something happens, kids can flag down a counselor and have recourse. So we give kids a lot of space, but there's also kind of limits to how bad things can get. You know, and we, we've talked to a lot of kids and families and, you know, our counselors are our high school and college students, and they've really grown up with Minecraft and We've heard a lot of stories about what happens out there in the open uh, internet server world of Minecraft. So we're certainly not that world, but we're also not like just playing little box. You're not Toontown, which is awesome. God bless Toontown. I loved it. You know, Toontown is a Disney MMO for kids. Yeah, yeah. And it had, you know, pull down chat, no free chat. That's right. Yeah. And Club Penguin is quite similar. I think one solution is just to not really let kids talk to each other or do much with one another. But for us, that doesn't really foster the kinds of collaborative and community skills that we're hoping kids develop online. Let's dive into that a little because you're not just developing this platform and this experience for kids. You're also training counselors who are in there, and that's part of your ecosystem. Tell us about that. You're building a whole ecosystem around this. Yeah, so in a lot of ways, we are modeling our learning approach and dynamics on what, in all my research, I found to be the really, really positive dimensions of learning online and online affinity groups and communities, which is that you know, you're learning from others who are just slightly older than you or, but, you know, it's multi-generational, but everybody has like a passion for the thing you're doing. So it was really important to us that our servers were staffed with uh, young people, young adults who were also passionate about Minecraft and the little kids. That's so much more fun to be working with an 18 year old or a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old who also grew up with Minecraft and is just a little older, and they know so much more than, you know, what grown-ups could have learned later in life with Minecraft. So in a lot of ways, the dynamic is similar to the kind of organic geek learning that I found so compelling in my research, but we are making it a little bit more accessible, more comfortable for the parents, quite frankly and also more comfortable for younger kids and uh, girls. You know, a lot of parents are less comfortable about their girls playing multiplayer mode than boys. So when we ran our first experiments, we found that for a lot of the girls, it was actually their first experience playing multiplayer. So we felt really good about that, that we're opening up opportunities for that kind of more boy-centered geek tech learning that is often really exclusionary to girls. 
Yeah. And you mentioned earlier you're launching a girls club. How did that evolve? One of the things that we've found is that we do get fairly uh, decent numbers of girls. They're not the majority, but probably more than the regular Minecraft server world. We get higher proportions of girls, but we were finding that they were not signing up for things like our coding or our more um, technically advanced kinds of programs. And when they did, they were often so few girls that they could feel intimidated by all the boys. So we've um, been running a girls club at a local school who's been a partner for us to see how that goes and trying to get girls who are not really that into Minecraft at all to try. So there's sort of that entry level thing. Uh, but we're also doing uh, girls clubs for those more technical specialties like coding because we find that we have found that if uh, you're in a girls-only space, and this isn't unique to our camps, a lot of camps are doing this now in tech-related areas, that it just creates a safer and more comfortable space. Now, of course, girls are welcome to take any of our programs and you know hang with the boys as well, but we also wanted to create a space for the girls who don't feel as comfortable in a boy-dominated kind of environment. It's going to be so interesting to see how that evolves. Yeah, it will. That's something new for this coming summer. We did not do that last year. So, you know, this is really based on feedback that we had during some of our after-school programming. So we're hopeful that it'll create an environment that will bring more girls. I mean, one of the important things about our startup, too, is that it is a benefit corporation. So we're guided by social goals as well as uh, survival, as most startups are. But for us, the issues around equity and serving underrepresented groups uh, in getting kids into tech is a really important part of the work we do. So some of the stuff around gender is very critical to our mission. And we also are committed to serving at least uh, half of our population. We're hoping uh, will be lower-income teens that are accessing our programs through uh, free or subsidized kinds of community-based organizations. Awesome. Well, given that those are your goals, how do you make sure that you're on track with your customers? How do you do that outreach to know that you're developing things for the people that you're trying to reach? One of the great things about doing this kind of live online learning with kids is that we do get immediate feedback from uh, kids as to their experiences because our counselors are in game with them all the time. So, for example, this experiences that girls were having, you know, that was something that we sussed out right away because we could see that interaction happening. And, you know, we immediately spoke to the parents and trying to understand the experiences that the girls were having. You know, the same is happening in our school context where we're in close contact with the kids as well as the uh, instructors on site. You were really great at speaking with us and giving us feedback when the problem arose with your daughter too. So there's a lot of this kind of live feedback that we're getting, which is really, really helpful. The other thing that we do is our origins were in the nonprofit and research space, and we obviously still have a lot of relationships with people in the public schools and libraries and community-based organizations and research. So we do a lot of partnering with groups who are in the nonprofit space 
our summer programs and our game design programs have been co-developed with Institute of Play, which is a nonprofit. And uh, last summer, we partnered with the LA Makerspace and LA Public Library to deliver our program system-wide through the LA Public Libraries, uh, which you know helped us meet our benefit corporation goals. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we're also working with folks in Richmond and Chicago in serving kids through uh, public organizations, libraries, and schools. So a lot of it is just about the relationships that we've had in the nonprofit sector uh, and the partnerships in order to make sure we're reaching kids from uh, really diverse walks of life. Wow. You, I know, are a very modest person as well as an amazing and brilliant person. And I know this is probably hard to answer, but if you're honest with yourself, what do you think your superpower is? <laughs> oh, that's a, um, yeah, that's a hard question. Um, I mean, I think my superpower is that I listen to kids and I learn from them. And they're the ones who have amazing creative ideas. And I'm a translator. You know, I grew up bicultural, living between the U.S. and Japan. So I think that cultural translation piece, you know, it's part of the reason why I became an anthrop uh, anthropologist. But it's really, for me, about showcasing the kind of learning and creativity that young people are doing and trying to get adults to embrace and appreciate that and give them more space to pursue that. So, yeah, I think it's really about listening to kids. Wow. I love that answer. It makes me so much think of you and Joey. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, my brother, you know, I, it's funny because I was a very traditional learner. You know, I did well in school. I love school. You know, I got two PhDs. Like I did as much school as we possibly could. And Joey <laughs> was exactly not that kid. You know, he had the highest absentee rate in uh, high school, but he started the most student clubs of any kid ever. Like he was a totally interest-driven, self-directed, learner who, you know, he started his own company when he was a teenager. So I grew up observing him. So a lot of times, you know, again, it's like, I like learning from people who are different from me. And that's my source of challenge and inspiration. And I think growing up with Joey, who was so different, but also who I loved and respected and understood was a really big part of that as well. Wow. And he now runs the MIT Media Lab. That's right. He's an academic now, which is just crazy. Who would have thought? <laughs> I know. And I am a startup. Yeah. So uh, think, think different isn't just a slogan. <laughs> that's right. So what's on the horizon for you these days? What's coming up that's got you excited? I think to me, what's been incredibly interesting about connected camps is not only like having this really fun project and feeling like we're able to help kids pursue creative learning and passions, but also the learning that I'm doing about just how to make an impact in a world in a different way in the for-profit space. So that's incredibly exciting for me because I've spent most of my career in the academic and uh, nonprofit world where, you know, we get research grants, we get philanthropic grants, and we do cool things, we learn stuff, we often create innovative products and try new things. But the way that we think of getting things out in the world, like it's often very difficult. So I've seen so many 
interesting things that uh, academics and researchers have developed in ed tech. And, you know, once it hits the real world, it's like it was this thing that was developed with millions of dollars and investment, but it's been in the bubble of the research world and they don't survive these innovations. And what's been interesting about the startup and Amy, Joe, your work is so informative in this respect too, is that these new startup methodologies where you're both kind of the company and the whole incentive structure is about scale and sustainability as much as the idea and the world is just relentlessly giving you evidence and feedback about whether you're delivering value to real people in the real world. And that's super exciting to me. So even at a meta level, I mean, I've loved just building a startup. It's like building your house at one brick at a time. And I know exactly where every dollar's going and what everybody's doing in my little company. And the, but the engine for what we're doing is really much more outwardly focused on getting out in the world and making a difference in people's lives immediately. And that's incredibly refreshing. I mean, obviously there are problems or issues with a purely profit-driven model. And that's one of the reasons why we are a benefit corporation. But there's a tremendous amount of learning that I'm doing about what it makes to have an impact in the world if you're being really serious and honest and scientific about it that in a way is much more effective in the startup world than in some ways in the research-driven world. So eventually, I would like to write about some of the learning I'm doing on uh, that respect. Like if you want to run a social venture, if you want to make a difference in education and kids' lives, then there are a lot of different ways that you can do it. I think the world would like to read that thing that you're going to write. <laughs> I know I would. That sounds fascinating. Thank you so much, Mimi, for your time and sharing what you're doing. We'll make sure to share all the URLs you mentioned in the episode notes. And I'm so excited to see where you're going with this. And I can tell you one thing, Lila will sign up for Summer Camp 2016. <laughs> Fantastic. Minecraft Summer Camp. What a, what a concept. So thank you for being our guest today. Yeah, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Getting to Alpha with Amy Jo Kim. The shows that help you innovate faster and smarter. Be sure to check out our website, gettingtoalpha.com. That's getting2alpha.com for more great resources and podcast episodes.